to welcome back to an all-new episode of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christopher Brown. Today we have the former MLA for Spruce Grove St. Albert, Mr. Trevor Horn. Trevor and I sit down and talk about his road to 2015, his views on his time in office, and his difficult decision on running against a caucus colleague, and also the similarities between the Wexit movement and Brexit. So sit back and relax and enjoy the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Trevor Horn. Thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Um, uh, my first question is always to any politician or former politician is, where does your sense of duty come from? Well, I growing up, um, we always followed the news and everything. Um, and we, my great-grandfather was a member of parliament in the 50s through the 70s. Um, so Seriously? We, yeah. Um, he was the MP for originally Athabasca, which at the time was basically everything Westlock North. <laughs> Seriously? Was bigger than Sweden, yes. Holy crap, I did not know this. Yeah, um, so he's good friends with Diefenbaker, and I have a signed copy of the Bill of Rights from Diefenbaker because of that. So you're great, great-grandfather or grandfather? Great-grandfather. Great-grandfather, I'm assuming, Alberta. Yes. Conservative? Yes. Very conservative. <laughs> so what happened along the way? Uh, <laughs> because I'm assuming are your, are your mom and dad? Mom is probably less conservative than she thinks she is. Um, growing up, you know, she always, or really until 2015, she always voted conservative because she'd always voted conservative and everybody voted conservative. Yep. Dad... Um, was a member of the Conservative Party in the 80s, but had been increasingly frustrated with them. Um, so I think the best way to describe him is he feels he doesn't have a party that represents him that well. Okay. Um, so so your sense of duty came from your great-grandfather. I'm assuming it came from your great-grandfather's side. So seeing yep. that and learning about <laughs> your grandfather literally was in the government that introduced the Bill of Rights, mm -hmm. did that get you a sense of being politically active as a young child? Um, not so much being politically active when I was young, but um, the importance of following politics and everything. Um, what really got me um, active politically was uh, the 2011 federal election. Okay. Um, so that was the Stephen Harper, Thomas Mulcair, and... No, nope, that was 2015. That was the Jack Layton Orange Jack Layton, Wave. yes, that's right, okay. Um, and I was very inspired by uh, Jack Layton and his success and everything. Uh, so when he passed away, I decided that it was um, as good a time as any. By that point, I was already studying political science, just starting to. Uh, so it worked out very well. And then, of course, at the time in Alberta, the NDP was a very small team uh, so then it just slowly started getting more and more active so why the NDP for you a lot of reasons um, one of the biggest ones was I was you know I grew up in the Klein era so seeing the impacts of cuts in especially in school um, where the first week or two of classes were always characterized by trying to fit more and more desks into a room that wasn't growing 
um, that was something that always stood out to me. And I kept hearing promises for more infrastructure, for new schools, better uh, classroom sizes and everything, and seeing no real action on that, um, especially in under uh, Redford where there was 50 schools promised and none of them saw a shovel. Of them came, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... 2011 sort of sparks your interest of actually getting involved politically, I'm yes. assuming, right? Um, did you help out on the federal campaign on that election? Not in 2011. Um, 2012 was a provincial election, and I did uh, door knock for Darren Billis at that point. Okay, and that was uh, Redford's first election as yes. leader, and that yes. was the Lake of Fire election. Yes, that was the <laughs> one where everybody thought we were going to get a Wild Rose government, and thank God we did. <laughs> well, look what we have now. So That's let, let's be honest, okay? <laughs> I'd take Danielle Smith over Jason Kenny any day. Um, so 2012, provincially, you get involved. You, Like you said, you work with Darren Billis. Yeah. Um, what then sparks your interest to say, you know what, maybe it's my time to run. 2015 comes around because, let's be honest, everyone expects it not an election because mm-hmm. we have an election law in this province. And fortunately, some people don't think we should follow it, but we do. So what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to put my name forward this time? Um, I had been, you know, increasingly active and I knew... Uh, I kind of had made the decision that if I was asked, I'd put my name in. Um, but I was expecting to be asked to run in, like, Drumheller or somewhere. Um, so when I did get the call and I was asked to run in my community, it was, okay, well, that's a bit different, and I can actually try to get out and door knock, time allowing and everything. Um, so... So who, who called you from the party? Was it just like, was it an MLA at the time or was it a party uh, president? And did they say, we need yeah. someone, we think you'd be the perfect fit? Uh, it was Samantha Fulmer who uh, worked at that point in a party office. Um, I think she's now in Ontario. Okay. So when was it an initial yes? Was it a guarantee, you know what, let's do it? Or did you have to talk to your parents because... Literally, you come from a conservative family. Why put your name forward to run for the NDP with a very solid, yeah, conservative area that you would be running in? They already knew I was a new Democrat. <laughs> um, yeah, by that point, I owned like every book I could find on Jack Layton and Tommy <laughs> Douglas, and um, so they they supported you. Yeah, um, okay. they did not want to touch a door, but they put out signs, they dropped leaflets. So what was that election like? Uh, this is your first time putting your name on the ballot, first time seeing your name on a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, take me through that process. Yeah, so it's still a bit weird. I have the signs still, so it's, uh, you know, every time I dig them up or, uh, you know, most of my shopping bags have my name on it. Uh, So it's still a bit weird to, like, think about, okay, I have and had this position to have my name on things, and I'm supposed to be the center of attention in this campaign and everything. Um, So that's very strange. 
the weirdest part was, when, of course, when I started, I was expecting, like, if I get 10% of the vote, I'll be happy. Um, well, and that's the that's the thing that every, every uh, person I've spoken to is they didn't expect to win, right? So you're, you're doing this, A, to promote the party that you believe in, mm-hmm. but... You have something in the back of your head that must be saying, you know what, I'm doing this to, like you said, get that 10%. Yeah, I mean, I knew I had supported Rachel in the leadership race, and part of that was because I felt that she had the uh, persona and the charisma and the appeal to pull off something similar to what Jack Layton did in 2011. Um, of course, I was expecting I was expecting growth. I wasn't expecting 54 seats. Um, I was expecting, you know, closer to 20 and a really strong opposition and then form government. Uh, so it was a pleasant surprise uh, when we did as well as we did in 2015. So what point during that campaign did you think to yourself, this could actually happen? Math is hard. <laughs> really? It, the, the debate. Um, so... Did you notice the difference on the doorstep as well? The doorstep, the... uh, I was also running uh, Marie Renault's data, so I was seeing the marks coming in. I was hearing the difference. Uh, The debate, we uh, hosted a viewing party, so we had it on the wall, and I turned around, and suddenly, like, all of city council was in the office watching it, and it was... You could tell that things were shifting. Um... You know, when the otherwise conservative councillors are in the NDP office, it's... You know there's something... Something's happening. Yeah. So after that, because that was almost a week before, a week and a half, two weeks before the election, right? So there was a quick turnaround where the poll started to swing in the favor of the NDP. They had the Wild Rose and the NDP seemed to be going back and forth there for a while. So election night rolls around. Yeah. What's your what's what's your mood? Are you like, okay, you know what? I'm still in that opinion that I might only get 10 percent here. Or are you like this could actually happen for me? Well, by election night, I had a good sense that it probably would, but I was expecting it to be tight. Um, Being in the Edmonton area, I got close to half of the vote, which was um, more surprising to me. Um, You know, it's... I think anybody the first time they're elected, and even after, um, it's a big... It's a really emotional thing where you're both humbled, but also a lot of emotion, basically every possible emotion running through you in that moment. So you you, you see the little green check mark go up beside your name. I was, I was in the, uh, the victory party, so I was on the floor. In Edmonton. In Edmonton. I had just talked to the Edmonton Journal. Uh, they had taken two steps, so it was a giant check mark I saw <laughs> and a camera flash. <laughs> they never ran that picture. <laughs> okay, it'd be interesting to see that photo of the shocked look, I'm assuming, that was on your face. Yeah, and uh, my parents and my sister and Emily all around me, I'm sure they're in there too. <laughs> so you're a student going to Mount Royal. Uh, McEwen. McEwen, sorry. Student going to McEwen. You've just been elected the next mm-hmm. MLA. 
what's going through your head. That's a that's a big change, right? Yes. So you must have a weight on your shoulders at that point of time. Like you're probably still celebrating, but you're starting to realize that things are yeah. coming. Yeah, and it really took a few weeks for it to really like sink in what you know how much that means. Um, of course, I was broke university student. I was at living at mom and dad's house, so have to find a place, have to um, overhaul my wardrobe, have to. <laughs> so the swearing in of the cabinet yep. happens on the steps of the legislature. The whole caucus is there. You guys walk out. Yep. That must have been an impressive feeling to see the ways because I was there in the crowd. Yes. There was a large population there that I didn't think would ever show up, but there they were. Yep. So take me through that moment when you realize that this is actually happening now because you know what? The cabinet's being sworn in. I'm next. I'll be sworn in as the MLA. Mm-hmm. What's your process of going, okay, I need to get my game face on here and I need to make sure that I voice the opinions of my constituents in the legislature. Yeah. Um, it's com- it's very overwhelming at that point, trying to figure out, okay, how do I, what is the best approach to make sure that I'm trying to collect as many different viewpoints in the writing as possible and support them? Um, how do I prioritize which voices to, especially the um, otherwise quieter voices, to uh, to carry forward in the legislature? Um, I had a very difficult balancing act in that I have, in St. Albert, there's a, a some great LGBTQ organizations, but then I also had uh, some of the most vocally anti uh, GSA private schools in my writing. So if I took a position on one, I would get the other in my office. Um, and vice versa. Yeah. Of course, I chose to very actively support the GSAs. Um, one of the principals accused me of being a Nazi, so that was fun. <laughs> like, because I, I remember the atmosphere that probably about two, three months after yeah. you guys were sworn in, the swing of celebration to online trolls became very vocal. Yes. And very prominent, especially in Alberta. Yeah. How did you block that out? Because you used to be a student, you're now in a public position, you're getting called a Nazi. Yeah. How do you go, you know what, I need to like just drown that out, but you can't because it's so prominent. It's not easy to do. Um, a lot of it comes down to trying to find uh, more healthy voices. Even, even dissenting voices, but, you know, people who are communicating in a healthier way. Um, I didn't take as much of it on social media as a lot of my colleagues did. Um, I know Connolly got a lot. I'm sure Ricardo did. Um, but you must have got some. Because, like you said, if you yeah. take a position, you have an urban-rural divide riding. Mm-hmm. You're going to get both sides of the coin, right? So, yeah. Did you ever just look at it and go, why are people making such a big fuss? We're trying to make everything better. Let us try and make it better for everyone. Well, I kind of knew why they were making a big fuss. And a lot of it was there was 
people actively trying to organize dissent against us. And they were straight up lying to them. Um, we had one family come in, uh, homeschool their kids, um, and tried to ask me why I was forcing them to renovate their house, which was a rather confusing statement. So I yeah. asked a few follow-ups, and what uh, what they thought was happening was by trying to promote gender-neutral washrooms because they operated as a school for their kids, they would have to renovate the house. Oh, my God. So when I asked, wait a minute, you have separate washrooms for men and women in your house? The response was, well, no. (laughs) Well, then it's already gender neutral. (laughs) So there was a big educational piece around informing people, but sometimes the message didn't get out. Because the media, God bless them, I think they're a prominent source of what we need in this country, in this province. Mm -hmm. They focused on one issue. Oil and gas. (laughs) Depending on what point, right? Like, um, Bill 6 was also really big. And they focused a lot on that. Um, But they in, I think in that case in particular, what ended up happening is they were trying to provide what they thought was a balanced perspective on what was what discussion was taking place but by giving equal voice to the misinformation as to what the actual bill did it kind of amplified the misinformation more than got out the actual information so how did how did your party and you in particular get that correct information out there because the media wants to make a story and as a former journalist I know that you want to sell newspapers so you will get the most negative person out there and get them to say something negative and put it in the newspaper because that is what will sell so your job basically for four years then is talking to individual residents, talking to your constituents and saying, no, that's not the correct information over and over and over again. But newspaper comes out the next week, same information, they're going to believe the newspaper. So Mm -hmm. how did you balance that? How did you actually say, you know what, I need to fight the newspaper, but I also need to use it as a good resource? Um, When you're in that situation, the only thing you really can do, well, door knocking and talking to people one-on-one, hosting town halls, um, where I I hosted several town halls, but they weren't always as effective. You'd get the same 5, 10, 15 people at them. Um, Because Facebook was, Facebook rose during your time in office because it did. When, when you were when you first were elected it, it was there but it wasn't prominent yeah when you left in 2019 yeah it was the norm you yes. had to use facebook that's how you reach your constituents yeah but yet again facebook is that double-edged sword as well yeah so facebook was definitely part of it but uh, Facebook is also an echo chamber. Uh, so the people who were following me and seeing things I was posting on Facebook weren't the people who were accepting the uh, misinformation. Um, so there, really, the only thing you can do is try to get 
yourself and the message and everything into uh, the local papers. Um, I had a small radio station uh, that services Spruce Grove, so uh, do interviews there and try to get that message out in as many ways as possible. So let's go back to the legislature. Um, I'm assuming, as a student of uh, uh, St. Albert at the time, you had been to the legislature as a student. Yes. Um, But walking in for the first time as an elected official, after you get your mace pin, after you sign the book, what was that moment like for you? A little overwhelming. Um, (laughs) I can imagine. It's suddenly far more real uh, when you walk in, especially the first speech from the throne. Um, Before then, it's all, uh, you know, okay, at some distant point in the future, this is going to be my life. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, that's today. Yeah. You're now responsible for voting, um, defending legislation, providing criticism of legislation. Um, Is it what you expected, though? For the most part. I had been around the party for a while, so I knew some of the former MLAs. Um, I remember I was talking to Alex McEachern, former MLA for Edmonton Kingsway, I think is his writing. And he described it as basically being university all over again. We were constantly learning things. Um, Because I was elected while a university student, I would amend that and say (laughs) it's like you're in finals all the time where you're always studying. There's always more you could be doing. Um, And there's a point where you just have to say that it's good enough or I can come back and fix it later. So one of the big... uh mysteries of politics is uh, everyone assumes that if you're in one party you hate the other party mm-hmm. question period has amplified that it the yelling the, the rhetoric <laughs> exactly so uh during your time in office, you must have worked with the opposition. Yeah. Like it wasn't always question period, so you had to work with the opposition to hey, if yeah. they needed something, you want to work with them. So do you look back and you say, you know what, it wasn't as bad as people saw on TV because the news will only play those question period clips. It depended who it was. <laughs> okay. Um, some of the MLAs were unable to leave it in question period or in the committee room. Uh, So you'd try to talk to them and it would be, you know, immediately antagonistic. And, you know, that's not conducive to a a working relationship. Um, Some others, I kind of got the sense they were there because it was all about power and they kind of see politics as a game to them. What? What? I don't know who you're talking about there, Trevor. Uh, So, uh, you're going through this. Is there issues that are coming forward from your constituents that you have to bring forward even though personally you don't believe in because that's the one balancing act that you have to you have to voice all your constituents needs yeah and you have to bring them forward so how do you balance that as a new mla as a member of a government that has never been elected to this Mm -hmm. province how do you balance the fact that there are dissenting issues out there that you might have to bring forward because that's the voice of your constituents yeah so my approach was always to try to put their 
depending on which criticism it was, you know, some of them, some people would uh, critique the budgets and, you know, that's a ideological position. I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, so those I would say, okay, this is what I'm hearing. Uh, this is what people are saying. Others, like um, back to the GSAs, uh, there'd be people who would come into the office who would say, you need to scrap this legislation. This is absolutely despicable. Um, and then I would say, okay. And then I'd call up my local GSA, go meet with them, and then I would, when I'd contact the ministry, I'd say, you know what, I heard this, and I also heard this. So you did give both per sides. I tried to as charitably as I could. Well, because that's the one of the issues that the conservatives, the right wing had with yep. the government was they felt like their voice wasn't being heard. And yet the left right now doesn't believe that their voice is being heard. Yep. So it's one of those balancing acts, right? You, you go back and forth. Like, um, hopefully we will go back <laughs> to a point where the right wing isn't being heard. But yet again, let's leave it at that. Um, the balancing act as a caucus, though, because mm-hmm. you're made up of 50, 53-ish. Plus or minus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you have 53 unique voices in office. Mm-hmm. Do you hear all the sides from your caucus? Because they're all representing different parts of the province, so they all have their yeah. own unique views. So you might be advocating for your riding, but... Let's say Edmonton has 22, 21 ridings in it. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be able to outshine the 21 caucus members who are going to form a coalition to say, okay, we need this for Edmonton. So how did you get your needs and your constituents met? Um, Was it easy to approach cabinet ministers and say, okay, this is what my riding needs and we need to get it for them? Depended on the cabinet minister. Some were far easier to approach than others. Um, Some, I found it easier to approach their staff and talk to the staff to get uh, issues moving. Um, Others, you know, I could talk to them about almost any issue and would get at least a you know meeting and felt that they were uh, really listening to the concerns. Um, Christina Gray was great at that. Um, there was a one bill that I had some concerns about, and I sent her an email. She said, "Okay, let's sit down." What bill was that? If you don't mind me asking, uh, it was the. Um, Pay at the pump legislation. Okay. Uh, I was concerned specifically about impacts on some of the independents, especially in smaller communities, uh, what having to install that infrastructure might do to them. Um, And the response I got was, yeah, we absolutely heard that. But what we heard when we asked the community or the gas stations that would be affected like that uh, was that their competitors also have to do it. Yeah. They all want to do it, but none of them can justify the expense until the, they all do it. Until they all have to do it. Okay. Um, when I've talked to your former colleagues, uh, they say that the caucus was a family. Did you find that? 
for the most part. Um, <laughs> Family's bicker, let's be honest. Okay? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, if you've ever been around a Chris Brown family uh, Thanksgiving, you know that we all bicker <laughs> about politics. So, did you find that it was a family? Uh, for the most part. I mean, even when there were disagreements around the caucus table, there was usually... You know, some level of, okay, but I understand you're trying to do it for the community or, you know, because of some personal view or something. Um, so for the most part, I would So at least the reason I ask that is because, as we said in the, in the past, in the first, like, I think 10 minutes of the interview... Um, you, we saw a rise of online trolls in this. Yes. Um, mostly towards women that were in your government. Uh, not just women. I know uh, there was also some uh, racialized trolling going on. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, I do apologize. That is correct. Um, so were you able to, when someone who had been attacked by an online troll came yep. to the caucus, came to you and said, you know what, I need to go out for a beer tonight, let's go, because we need to just relax and mm-hmm. not worry about that. Were you able to do that? Um, nobody invited me for a beer in those terms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were definitely able to, I mean, everybody has their groups, so there was definitely several people where it'd be like, I really need a beer today, let's... Let's just go out. Yeah. Because the question period has just been so... <laughs> yeah. Can you believe what they said today? Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about your time in office. Mm-hmm. 2019 election comes around. You decide to put your name forward for the new riding of St. Albert. You yes. run against Marie. Yeah. Uh, Marie wins. Yep. And then you decide to put, uh, step down. Not step down, but not run for re-election. Yes. Was that a hard decision? After going through that nomination process? It was easier than the decision to challenge. Um, and there really? Were, there were a lot of factors going into that. The challenge with... When I was deciding to challenge, there was the question of, do I challenge? If I challenge, where do I challenge? Do I move to an open riding? Edmonton Southwest at that point didn't have a candidate. Um, or do I just call it quits here because there was two ridings in St. Albert at that time there was St. Al- Albert Morinville and St. Albert yes and then there was um, Spruce Grove Stony Plain and uh, Edmonton Southwest like yeah it's the opposite side of the capital region though. yeah so to challenge a former uh, fellow caucus member must have been challenging to begin with so yeah what was that process like for you it was very conflicting because if I chose uh, Spruce Grove Stony Plain, then I'd be challenging Aaron Babcock. Um, if I challenged St. Albert, I would be challenging Marie Renault. And if I challenged St. Albert Mournville, I had just spent two years trying to convince uh, Shauna Gerlach to run. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have an easy answer there. Um, and ultimately, I decided to uh, run in the community that I grew up in. Yep. Um, and that meant St. Albert. Yeah. So um, you lose the nomination. You decide yep. to step down. You yep. decide to not run for re-election because, like you said, there's other ridings and yep. they've either been acclaimed or they're going through their nomination process. Yep. So... <laughs> You, you've been elected.
elected for four years, you're stepping down. Is it easy to be on the other side now to say, okay, I know what the candidate's going to be going through, so I'm yeah. able to help in a way that I might not have been able to as a if I was running in this election? Yeah. Um, you know, we just had our provincial council, so I was meeting a lot of the uh, uh, people who just ran federally. Um, and some of them, you know, it's something that I don't think most people can relate to unless they've done it, uh, because it's different when it's your name. <laughs> Having door knocked both for other people as well as for myself, it it's a very different experience when uh, the response you're getting on the door is about you. Um, and some people make it very personal. Oh, yes. So did you help out on the 2019 election? I did. Um, I decided to try to help somebody who wasn't... I decided to not try to help one of my colleagues because I didn't want to be... I didn't want to feel like I was picking a favorite. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up uh, volunteering in uh, Edmonton Southwest. So for John Archer. Yes. So... Which we also lost. <laughs> <laughs> so 2019 compared to 2015, yep. 2015, like we said, you saw that change at the door. Yeah. 2019 comes around, you're door knocking. Do you notice the moment you start door knocking that this is going to be a tough election? I knew Southwest was always going to be tough. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm a bit of a data nerd, so but when I decided to volunteer there, I pulled up the previous election data and was looking at it and figuring, okay, so... I know the Conservatives are polling high in the polls, so, you know, expect X number of percentages to drop. Uh, so I knew it was going to be close. Um, door knocking, it depended where we were. Uh, some communities um, were very, very passionately in favor of Rachel, and some were very passionately not. Uh, so it was different than 2015. 2015, uh, most of the people who were opposed to the NDP didn't want to say it because they felt that their neighbors were all going to vote NDP. And I think in 2015, there was a big underlying, we want the PCs out. Mm -hmm. We want to give them a timeout because for 44 years, they've, let's be honest, they've put themselves first. Yeah. So let's not... Uh, we don't like the Wild Rose because the whole Lake of Fire thing. There was yeah. that floor crossing that happened. So there was a bit of an underlying we don't want them in because yeah. there's entitlement. So Rachel became the de facto opposition leader because the Liberals were not an issue. And let's be yeah. honest, they weren't an issue in the last election either. Yeah. So... You're door knocking. You see that very big divide because, it, mm -hmm. let's be honest, the last election was a two-party election. Yes. The Alberta Party did run a full slate, but it was a two-party election. Yeah. Election night comes around. You start seeing the results come in. We're heading for a piece of UCP majority. Yeah. What's your first thought? <sighs> Disappointed, and part of it was I kind I had felt that if we had waited, you know, another week, we might have been able to turn it around. Uh, but then when the scale of the numbers came in, especially in rural, um, 
Because you, you, you were reduced from 52 or 53 at uh, dissolution to 24? Yeah. 24 or 27? Yeah. Um, so that's a big swing. Yes. So we're now back into the UCP government. Yes. As someone who didn't put their name forward, do you look at it and go, you know what? I wish I was there, but at the same time, like we've talked about beforehand, I wish I was there, but at the same time, I, I feel glad that I'm not because of what they're doing, and I have a voice that I can do it outside of the legis- legislature. Yeah, it's <coughs> complicated how okay. I feel about it. Um, so let's 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 dive deep into that complication, <laughs> Trevor, because the complication is where I thrive. So yeah. how is it complicated? Well, on one hand, I can I don't have to listen to question period. I can, you know, go grab a coffee instead of having to listen to whatever Jason Kenny's hey, saying. Jason Kenny doesn't listen, he hands out earplugs. <laughs> that, that's true. Um, I can also just turn off the TV. I don't even need earplugs. There you go. Um, but then there's also I know there's a lot of voices in my writing that aren't, aren't being heard. Aren't being heard. And there's some you know, especially the casework, there are some people who I suspect aren't getting the services they need um, now. Um, so that's very hard. Um, on the flip side, I can also go to protests and speak my mind a little bit more freely. Um, I haven't been very active on social media since the election, uh, but I also know that that's an option. So uh, as someone who had paid attention to politics growing up, uh, you now are on the other side, like I said. Uh, Do you still pay attention? Not, well, probably about the same as I did before I was elected, or before I ran. Um, Of course, being a political science major, I was following it fairly closely. Um, I haven't been following federal as closely as I used to. Okay. Um, Because the reason I ask that is, do you see what this government is doing? And do you think, holy crap, we, they, in the last, what was it? It feels like for four years already, but last... Hundred... Whatever days, days, 100 days, they've rolled back four years of progress that you guys made? Yeah, there's very few files that we made progress on that they haven't rolled back, which is really disappointing, especially seeing some of those things should have been done 20 years ago. Some of them were under being worked on by the PCs when we formed government. So then it just feels like this isn't even a um, conservative versus new Democrat thing. This is a petty thing that you're going after it just because it was us. Looking to the future over the next four years, do you think Alberta will be worse off in four years? I think that... The full effects of the current government won't be felt fully in four years. Um, Where it will really be felt is the more mid to long term. Um, You know, cuts to education are brutal. 
where we'll really feel that is 10, 15 years from now when the, you know, potential doctors and engineers and everybody either leaves the province to get an education or can't get that education at all because of those cuts. Do you believe that the NDP will form government again in this province? I am optimistic that we will. <laughs> okay. And I uh, will continue doing what I can to ensure that we will. <laughs> does the does a potential NDP government have a place for Trevor Horn? Will you run again? Um, I might run again. Um, I would run. I would approach it a bit differently. How so? Well, for one, I would talk to my partner this time. <laughs> oh, you didn't talk to her. Um, well, I'd said, you know, I think they might ask me, but I suspect it'll be in the middle of nowhere. Um, so when I was actually asked, it was like, yeah, sure. Um, Did you talk to your mom and dad at least? Um, I mean, I let them know. Oh, so I let you just let them know. know. You didn't but give them not, an option to say, no, you shouldn't yeah, do it. Yes. But I was expecting 10% of the vote. I wasn't expecting. True. So, you'll, we see this province dividing in the right right now. Mm-hmm. We have the right, which is the UCP, and then we have the far right, which unfortunately is the Wexit. Yes. In the last four years, you uh, it wasn't as prominent. We mm-hmm. we did have that, I think it was called the coup d'etat that one person <laughs> yes. did try to start up. Yeah. Do you see a more divided population than when you guys were first elected in 2015? Or do you just see the rise of the social media trolls being pro- more prominent now? I think it's... I think they're primarily being more prominent. Um, You know, 2015, you had very radical movements within the Wild Rose Party. You had um, red Tories in the PCs. Uh, So you had divisions there. They just weren't as viscerally against each other, or at least not as obviously against each other. Um, So I think now it's just becoming more obvious, and especially now that one of them is trying to separate from the country. And what's your opinion on that? I think it's a terrible idea. Why? Uh, Because honestly, like I I look at it, and and this is going to be one of the issues that I'm going to struggle with, is I look at it and I go, you know what, while I don't believe in separation, there's some good ideas. Like, Ontario has their own provincial police force, why shouldn't Alberta? Quebec has their own pension plan, why shouldn't Alberta? Both of those triple our costs. Okay, but it's under control of Alberta, though. <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate here because I, I, I as a former Ontario yeah. resident, I know that provincial police, yes, they do cost a little bit more, but they are funded by Alberta. They're not funded by the government and taking directions from the uh, Canadian government. Personally, I think that we are uh, stronger as uh, part of Canada than we ever could be on our own. Um, You know, there's more, um, even though most of our trade is with the states and less with Eastern Canada, although that does happen, um, I think the strength of our our, uh, 
international relationships are beneficial. Um, I think that uh, the having the United Country, the benefits far outweigh any negatives. Having said that, I am an Albertan. I understand Western alienation. Um, I think that there are things that Ottawa can and should be doing uh, to try to address that. Um, But where do you balance that? Because if one province says, we don't want a pipeline, how how, how does another province say, well, if you don't want a pipeline, we're going to stop sending you oil. It's a hard balance when you're trying to unite a country, right? Yeah, um, but separating from the country just landlocks us. And I I do get that point, right? I do get (laughs) if you separate as a country, you're going to have a much harder time trying to put a pipeline through another country, let alone trying to put it through your own country here to begin with. Yes. do you think that there will be an, ever be a time when we need to take the Wexit movement serious? I think it would be a mistake to not take it seriously right now. Um, I, 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 okay, why? <laughs> so uh, my Keystone project for my degree um, I did on uh, Brexit yep. and looking at the decisions that were made right from the time the UK joined the European Union all the way up to the vote. Um, and the sense I got was a lot of what ended up leading into Brexit was a failure of the leadership to try to strength, try to build any part of an, an, a British identity as members of the European Union. Okay. It was always, we are also members of the European Union, but out of necessity. Um, one thing I think that we could be doing is trying to strengthen, and really should be doing, is trying to strengthen the ability of not just Albertans but Canadians to work and travel, work and study in other provinces. Um, so sort of tear down those interprovincial barriers that we have, right? Yeah. Um, in the early days of the European Union, they and France and Germany still do this. Uh, they had programs where they would send high school and university students to other countries to study. Uh, so then you're building, literally, literally building friendships and relationships in those other countries. Um, and I don't think we do that as much. There's some, you know, if you're studying French, you can go to Quebec, um, but there's not as much, you know, go take a semester and study in... BC or yeah. Nova Scotia. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah. The same, with the same schooling. Yeah. If you're going to do that, you're going to go, you know, Ryerson or you're going to go to Europe or you're not going to go to... No, I didn't understand that. It's we do live in a divided, united country, if that makes sense. It's very yep. united, but at the same time, we do have that east-west-central divide. Mm-hmm. So, and really, we do within the province too, right? Like, do we? Well, uh, we have we have an urban-rural divide. There's a sense you'll hear it, especially from conservatives in Calgary, that you know there's an Edmonton-Calgary divide. Um, yeah. I 
don't, I think it's a mistake to assume that simply separating would get rid of that. You're, you're still going to have places that are, that feel further away and more ignored from power. Because there is that issue, and I've, I heard it during the 95 referendum in Quebec, was yes. if Quebec separates, the First Nations want to stay in Canada. So how do you balance that out as well, right? Yes, which all of the, or the treaty organizations in Alberta yeah. are already saying that they have no desire to separate from yeah. Canada. Well, and look at Scotland, right? Yeah. Scotland during the Brexit, they voted majority in favor to stay. Yeah, well, and even if you go back and look at the uh, Scottish separation referendum, a lot of the message for Remain was we would have to renegotiate European Union status and we don't want to have to enter those talks. Then Brexit happened, and now I wonder how many, how Nic- many Scottish... Nicholas Sturgeon is now in a rock between a hard place. Yep. I'm, I'm going to be... It's interesting to watch that election roll out, because uh, well, as much as we think we're divided, that country is massively divided. Well, really, it's four countries under one government. Yeah. Um, but it's also... Brexit has driven deeper wedges between everybody. And I don't even think it like there's a massive racist there's undertone that I, I find with the whole uh, election that's going on in Britain because yes. one of the big things that was prominent during the Brexit vote was, hey, we want the immigrants out. Yep. We don't want them here. And I'm finding that a little bit happening with the Wexit. Oh, it's absolutely happening. You think so? Yeah. <coughs> so do you, if there was a referendum and God forbid there isn't, happens, do you think that the misinformation about the, the same misinformation that happened during Brexit could happen here? I think that same misinformation is already happening. I think if we're any serious opposition to the Wexit movement should start three weeks ago. Um, Do you think Kenny's uh, fanning the flames? Whether or not he's doing it intentionally, I don't know. I think he's playing with fire for sure. Um, Right? Like he's trying to channel that outrage. But that is exactly what David Cameron did, and it ended his career. Very much so. Um, But one of the big issues that Wexit has is the federal government, and we just lost three uh, liberal MPs in this province, and, well, four in Saskatchewan and in... Alberta yep. and Saskatchewan also lost their NDP MLA or MPs. Yeah, there's there two NDP MLAs. Yeah, uh, because I think one was an independent at that time of dissolution. Yes, he was. <laughs> good old Aaron, not good, but you know. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that while we're in a minority government federally, that the federal government needs to reach into Alberta and say, you know what, we're here for you, but. Alberta won't listen because it's a Trudeau. I think that is definitely a danger. Um, as much as I'm not a federal liberal, um, we even saw that in the last election where uh, Trudeau tr- 
tripled the money coming into Alberta from compared to Stephen Harper, but the general sense from Albertans was that he was ignoring the province. And did you find that while you were in government? Absolutely. That he was ignoring the government? That oh. he was ignoring the province? No, no, no. I, that, that's how people felt. Okay. Um, in government, I think he... I think he had his hands tied. Um, he's also between a rock and a hard place where he is, you know, BC votes that he needs to uh, it is st- like keep happy. And two provinces right beside each other are so radically different. Uh, to be fair, it's only a handful of files where they're so radically different. You think so? I mean, BC also had a social credit government. Oh, that's right, yeah. I forgot about that. That was back in the 70s, though. Yeah, but those voters are still there. Um, Christy, and Christy now Clark now wasn't that... <laughs> yeah, Christy Clark wasn't that different. I mean, there are a lot of files where she's far more progressive than Kenny is, uh, but she's not all that different from a lot of the conservatives. So, looking to Trevor's future, because we're almost here, like I asked you beforehand, would you ever run again? Yeah. And I interrupted you, so uh, would you ever run again? And I'm not just saying provincially. Yeah. Federally, municipally. Is politics still in your blood? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that... Uh, Commitment to the community is definitely uh, something I'm hugely committed to. Um, And there's also all of the work that can only be done in office. Um, So I suspect I'll probably end up running for something in the future. What that is, where that is... Who knows? Yeah. And what would you say to the young boys and girls of Alberta who are thinking about running from politics but see how much of a divide it is right now about getting into politics, what would you tell them? Uh, Build your support groups and don't let the negativity deter you. It's not easy work. Um, You know, there are days where you come home and you wonder why you did it, but that's any job. Um, (laughs) Yep. So it's... uh, For all the days that were hard, there were days where um, it was inspiring in the totally opposite direction. Um, I had one friend, when we passed one bill, uh, specifically on uh, gender identity and expression, I got a text message from a friend who had been here for close to 15 years saying, today is the first day I'm proud to be an Albertan. So you do get those days that outweigh the days that are hard. And looking back on your life so far, would you do anything different? Probably. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's always a probably. Yeah. Um, I'd be... Because one thing that I uh, hear from, again, fellow uh, caucus members of yours is... Uh, even in t- in government, but mm-hmm. not in government, but in government, they would have pushed more quicker if they if they knew on the first day it would only last for four years. If I knew for sure that it would only last four years, there's definitely things I would have tried to push like harder on. Um, 
I think there's a lot of files that need a lot of work, like our registry system, our um, how we do licensing in Alberta, uh, that are now, you know, the UCP's moving backwards on that. Um, I would have definitely started pushing more on that earlier than I did. Um, there's things in the community I would have tried to do uh, earlier, um, but I think the big thing I would do if I were to do it again, regardless of how much time I had, is I tried to sit down early on and try to be a bit more, plan it out a bit more strategically, what my advocacy is going to be on. Um, because while there's definite, every file has work that needs to be done on it, um, and always will, um, having a bit more of a strategic, okay, this needs to get done, this needs to get done, um, having, having that strategy, I think, is uh, very important, and it's something that I don't think I had as much early on. Do you think you grew in that position? Absolutely, you have to. Um, I think if anybody tells you that they didn't grow in elected office, they either weren't doing a great job or they're lying. Um, you can't hear all of the voices and not have that impact you. And you have to grow into the role. Um, I didn't do any public speaking before I was elected. <laughs> um, I had never done an interview or anything, so I had to grow on all of that. Um, I had never managed staff, so I had to learn how to do that. My library is amazing and had uh, courses on all of that. <laughs> uh, so I, I used the library a lot, and uh, yeah. So what's next for Trevor? Uh, right now, I uh, finished my degree. Um, I don't know, I'm toying with a master's. Um, but Master's in political science. Probably. Okay. Um, or, there's a probably there, so you must have something else in mind. <laughs> well, I'm a minor in philosophy, and I do really love theory, but um, it would still be political in some sense. So finish that off at... Uh, finish my degree at McEwen, McEwen. and then... Uh, We'll see. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Of course. I, I won't take up some more of your time. We're, we literally just passed an hour, so that's perfect. Thank you very much, Trevor. And once again, thank you to our wonderful guest today. And I want to take this moment to thank you, the listener. Without you, the listener, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. So, thank you. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on one of the many outlets that host our podcast, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. While there, don't forget to give us some feedback and subscribe. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook at Cross Border Interview Podcast and on Twitter at Cross Border P-O-D, all one word, and on Instagram at Cross Border Podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. For the Cross Border Interview Podcast, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be back here again next week with a brand new episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Mm-hmm.